everything of its dross. Lord, I thank you that you're going to purge this message today of my human dross and deliver exactly what the Spirit has to say to our church in Jesus' name. God, be with those today, Lord God, that are sick in body. God, minister to those today, Lord God, that needs ministering to. Father, we pray for our nation, we pray for our church, and we pray for everyone that needs you in this hour. God, let something be done in this hour, Lord, that will change the spiritual atmosphere in our lives and in this nation, and we'll give you the glory and the praise for it all. And our church would say, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Give God a good hand and clap of praise. As you're sitting down, tell your neighbor, say, it's really good to see you today. Praise the Lord. I'm not going to say you're pretty good. I'm just going to say you look good today. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Titus in the New Testament. Once you find that, I want you, if you will, to go to Mark chapter 5. I shared with everyone this morning, if you have a Facebook account, you do not have membership on our group where our services are taped and sent out across the nation. Uh, get with Tina or myself, even Darlene, in this hour. Give them your Facebook handle so that we can befriend you and start getting the messages that you're missing in our church to you. Secondly, I shared this morning in Sunday school that I have not put last Sunday mornings, last Sunday night, or Wednesday night's message out yet because God wants me to kind of finalize it with this message this morning, and I wanted to put them all out in order so they won't be skipped so that you're following this message. It's my attempt to try to get this church on one page. Take the scriptures, please. We couldn't hear you Titus chapter number 2 and St. Mark chapter number 5. On top of that, I want you to kind of kind of go back with me to Sunday morning. This Sunday morning, I spoke with you that God has showed up to release the church. God has showed up to release folks that are in being caught bound up in a way where two directions meet, and that God was releasing His people to praise, and God was going to release His church. And that God also is releasing the Holy Spirit in this hour because he's tired of it being bound up in the church. I also shared with you how to live in life on Wednesday night, how to live in life with God has shut the door in one area and opened the door in the next, but you hadn't made it to the open door yet, and how to live a life in the hellacious highway or hallway of the in-between. Very important messages for our church because God is spiritually speaking to our church at this hour. I would pray that each and every one of you would listen to what thus saith the Lord. So once again, tell your neighbor, say, my eyes are alert. My ears are alert. I am receptive in the name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. If you want to write down, there are other references that you could go to. I'm not going to read it all today, but you could also go to get the gist of it this, this morning. To Matthew chapter number 9, you can also go to Luke chapter number 8 and get the gist of all that God has, the complete story. But I am limited in the time and the space that I have to minister to you today. I told Tina yesterday as we rode to Wilmington to be with her brother-in-law that I could preach 20 messages off of this, this chapter. 
And I believe that God has gotten me here for a reason, so this won't be the last time we're here. I know that God is speaking to our church, and I know that he is it's at the moment where we're about to break through. We're so close, I can taste it, and I do believe that God is richly doing something in you, within you, around you, about you, and by you, and for you. Amen? amen. Praise the Lord. Let the church say amen. amen. Titus chapter number two this morning. You might, when I read this, not think that this goes along with, with the story we go back to in Mark chapter number five, but let me share with you, it truly is. Verse number one, the Bible says, as Paul is writing to Titus, he says, Speak thou things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, that the aged men be grave, that they be temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, to be chaste, keepers at home. Mm, underline that. Circle it. Star it. Be discreet, chase, and keepers at home. Everybody say, at home. I am going to make a few mad this morning. <laughs> Women, be good, obedient to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God... Be not blasphemed. Now, go with me, if you will, to Mark chapter number 5. We'll pick up the story in verse number 21. I want you to understand that Jesus had just went from the shores of the Sea of Galilee over into the area called Gadara. While going over there, he is going over there to open up the gospel to the Gentiles. It is a very important voyage. God is about to send the gospel to the world, the answer that the world needs to be delivered. Satan does not like that very well, so he breaks out in a big storm and tries to kill not only Jesus, but all 12 of his disciples. He does everything he can possibly do to shut down Jesus' ministry right there out on the sea. But Jesus goes across the sea and shows up in a little place called Gadara, which was a region of ten different cities. And the moment that he shows up, this demoniac out that's living in the graveyard comes out and starts uh, running around and grumbling, arguing, and raising up his voice. And you know the story in the end of it. Jesus looks at him and casts a legion out of him, and he goes into a group of pigs, and the pigs run themselves over the cliff into the water, kill themselves. And the man is sitting up within his right mind, straightened out, delivered by the power of the Holy Ghost through Jesus Christ, and he wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, i got a message or i got a mission for you over here. I'm bringing the gospel 
over to this area and a revival is going to happen, but it's not going to happen right now. And what I need from you right now is you go into these 10 cities and show everybody what God's done for you because he basically said, I'm coming back. And when I come back, we're going to have a revival. Then Jesus comes back across the sea quickly. He went all the way over there just to do that and then come back. And in verse 21, it said, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, many people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his seat. And he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. The other gospel will share with you that she was the only child he had. He had no sons. He only had one daughter. said, my little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. And Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thrown him. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind, and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Now, the woman was suffering from a hemorrhage. She was declared unclean. She was not supposed to be in public. If she was in public, every step she took, she was supposed to holler out at the top of her lung, unclean, unclean. But this day she didn't do that. She pressed through the crowd, touching a lot of people, and even touched the Lord and Savior himself, and everything she had touched immediately began to be unclean. That's why she was fearful and trembling. Because when Jesus said, who touched me? She knew right then she had already committed an illegal thing that could kill her. But the Bible says that she knew something had been done in her. I wondered this morning, how many of you know something's been done in you? I said, I want to hear you this morning. How many of you know that God has done something in you? Amen. Knowing that He something was done in her, she had to come and she fell down before him and she told him all the truth. I want you to look at your neighbor this morning and say, that's what Jesus is after. He wants you to tell him 
all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Tell your neighbor here this morning, say, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he come to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he seized the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why are you making ye this ado? And why are you weeping? The damsel's not dead, but she sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and Peter, James, and John that were there with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha Kumi, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and he commanded that something should be given her to eat. One chat, one verse or one story says he told her to give him some meat. Give her some meat. Give her some meat. I got a message for you today that if you'll listen to this, it'll change this atmosphere in this church. It'll change the atmosphere in your life. If you'll listen to me this morning, you'll see exactly what Jesus is trying to do and what God is attempting to do. I wanted to start in the book of Titus because Paul writes to Titus and he instructs him how to preach the things that have their foundation in sound doctrine. You know that ain't going on a lot in the church no more, is it? You don't hear a whole lot of preaching that is based in the foundation of sound doctrine. It amazes me when I sit out today and I hear all these many voices that are out there that's preaching to the church of God. And they're preaching all kinds of things and they're so far away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. It amazes me that that is continually to go on. They know exactly how to mix just enough of truth in what they're bringing and a whole lot of heresy together and confuse the crowd that they're preaching to. And there's a whole lot of folks that have fell prey to that. But Paul told Titus, he said, speak the things which become sound doctrine. In other words, if you're going to preach the word of God, you have got to preach the sound doctrine. If you're going to preach the word of God, you cannot back up and you cannot compare. Be, be the one that compromises. If the Bible says it's sin, it is sin. It's written in the, the Greek word where he said, the Greek uh, imperative tense, where he says, speak 
those things that are becoming sound doctrine. It is a command to us to speak the things of the gospel and things that are in sound doctrine. Quit trying to make the Bible say what you want it to say. Preach what thus saith the word of God. Amen. He said, preach things that are becoming sound doctrine. That word becoming in the Hebrew means speak things that tower up over everything else that stands out so it can be clearly seen. It means to preach on the things that are becoming sound doctrine, to preach things that's free of any mixture or any error, to preach things that the church believes and teaches and what it stands for and do not back up. Do not apologize. Do not take it back. Preach the word of God. Amen. Why? Because he says as an aged man you have a job. And as an aged woman you have a job. And as a young man you have a job. And I want to tell you, I want to talk to the men just a few minutes. All you men that's here with me today, I want to hear you holler out as loud as you can, your big bass voice, and say amen. Amen. Here you go. He said you have got to be sober. I want all the women to look at these men and say, you got to be sober. That word means you got to be temperate. You got to abstain from wine. You got to have your mind in the right set. You got to be circumcised. You cannot take risks with the truth. You can't be playing with the truth. It says you have got to be sober. You can't take the truth and twist it. It is either holy or it's not holy. It means be respected and be impressive to people that come in contact with you. What it literally means is is have character. If you say something, you do what you say you're going to do. If you sign a contract to pay a bill, pay the bill when it's due. If you tell somebody you're going to do something, you go do it without anything whatsoever that holds you back. It says it, it means for you to be worthy of honor. And when someone mentions your name as an aged man, that they would honor your name and say, yeah, he's not only a good man, he's a God-fearing, anointed man. Amen. It means to be temperate and have a sound mind. It means to be self-controlled. That means you don't lose your temper and start beating up people. You don't get mad and go get drunk to get your mind off of stuff. You don't get mad and start throwing stuff to the television and busting up the windows. Oh, Lord, I'm here this morning. Tell somebody, say, you need to pray for him. He's going to make some mad this morning. So be self-controlled. Then he says, be strong and nothing doubting in your faith. He goes on and he says, you be strong in brotherly love. Then he goes on and he says, be constant and endure when everybody else will not endure. When nobody else won't clean the yard up at the church, you go clean the yard up at the church. When nobody else won't pay their tithe, you pay your tithe. When nobody else won't come to the church, you come to the church. When nobody else won't do anything, you're the one that endures through that and you do it. And you do it when nobody else does that. And you never swerve and you are never swerved in your purpose even though you're going to face trials and temptations and suffer some things in life. Your faith is to be brimming and and that is what everybody is supposed to see in you as a man. You are supposed to show everybody 
that you got your family resting on Jesus. You got your life resting on Jesus. And it don't matter if you lose everything. Your faith don't dremble. You are to be an aged man that is sober in faith, standing on things because you have a duty in this life. Amen. Now, boy, that is tough on the men, ain't it? Amen. Oh, but women, y'all even get it worse. You see, us men, we want to grumble and not be who we is and who we are. We don't want to live the way we want to live. We want to be compromising. We want to stay home from church. We want to quit paying our tithe and blame the wife because she spends too much at Walmart. But Jesus told the aged women, He said, and I want you to do all these things too. I want you to be sober in your mind. I want you to be temperate. I want you to abstain from wine. I want you to have a sound mind. I want you to be circumspect. I don't want you to take risks with the truth. I want you to be respectful. I want you to be impressive. When somebody mentions your name, they have to say, she's got character. She's worthy of honor. She's temperate. She's got a sound mind. She's self-controlled. She's strong in her faith and she don't doubt. If I need somebody to pray for me, I can call sister so-and-so. And she going to show me in the love of Jesus Christ just who she is and she's going to be constant and endure in everything no matter how many trials, how many things happen in her life. She has given herself totally unto the Lord and no trial and no mishap is going to keep her from doing what she's promised God she's going to do. That's what he said the men had to do. But then he turned around and he told the women behave in holiness. Hmm. Then he turned around and he said, you got to be reverent and show deep and solemn respect. You got to be deep, deep, being deeply sincere and not prone to slander. Why did your God, through the hand of Paul, tell Titus to tell the women not to get out there and slander? Because women, just like men at times, they love the gossip. Women, though, however, will assume quicker than a man will. I'm not getting on you. I'm not being a male chauvinist. That's just the way it is. A woman will assume she has a very detailed mind and she thinks in a detailed way and she'll see things going on in a detail around her and things that are happening around her might look a certain way and because it looks that certain way, immediately she has the tendency because of her natural makeup to look at things and assume that this is how things are. And when they do that there, they say things that are not true. But he tells you there, he said, you are not prone to slander. And don't you be falsely accusing people. Don't you go out there and defame and malign and attack somebody's reputation. Don't you do it indirectly. And don't you do it by even insinuation. And don't you destroy one's good name. And don't you tell parts of the truth and leave other parts of the truth out. In other words, you are to assume nothing without knowing the fact. Oh, I'm going to tell you, us women need some help, don't we? Amen. And you notice I said us women. Because they are a rib out of a man. goes on, and it says that you are not to act in the Luciferian spirit being an accuser of somebody falsely. 
You see, when you fall in that area and you are accusing people of things thoughtfully, you are falling prey to the Luciferian spirit. Why? Because your duty in this life as a daughter of God is to teach the young women how they are supposed to live holy. Men, your duty and your job here on this earth is to teach the men that are coming up behind you how to live holy, be a good father, be a priest of his house, a prophet of his house, and the king of his house the way God says for it but to be. And know and realize and understand it is not your way or the highway, it's God's way or the highway. If God says no alcohol in my house, no alcohol in my house. If God said, no, you ain't coming in here dating my daughter and going in and laying up in the bed with her, you ain't going to do it. And if you do it, you ain't never coming back here and she ain't never coming back here again. Oh, the Lord's been talking to me and he's talking to you this morning. And he said, young women, be sober. Be in the right mind. In other words, everybody here, and Brianna's probably the youngest one we got, I'm going to tell Brianna, Brianna, it don't matter what's happening in your life. Don't you ever take nothing to alter your mind. Don't you never go get you a, a can of beer or a fifth of, of alcohol or Jim Beam or bourbon or whatever it may be and drink that because you are to be sober. Then he said you are to love your family. To love your husband. Even when he's a pain, love him. Even when you want to knock his eyes out of the head, love him. And that word love there means to show them philanthropy. Do things for your husband and do things for your children. Goes further to tell you to be discreet, to be sound in your mind. To curb your desires and to curb your impulses and always be self-controlled. Then, oh, everybody look at somebody and say he's about to make some mad. <laughs> then he says, clean up your house. Amen. Worst testimony you can have as a woman is for somebody to show up at your house and there's a bunch of dirty dishes and trash laying all over the house. Amen. Oh, Lord, help me. Roaches running all around in your house. If that man you with don't go out there and get enough stuff to spray stuff and kill them roaches that's in your house, then you need to go ahead and do it yourself. Love them while you're doing it. But when, while you're doing it, grab them by the hand and sit there and say, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Clean your house. But that ain't what I'm just talking about. He says you care for the house and handle the household affairs and be a stayer at home. I just sell it. <laughs> Women, you ain't supposed to be working out in the field. Amen. You're supposed to be staying home. Yeah. You're supposed to be the one cleaning the house up. Your husband should not be the one cleaning out the closets. The reason why it's happening now in these days and now is because the woman's out working. And everybody got to compensate for one another. Now the sad thing about that, there's a bunch of you men, don't be a man, and the woman has to go out and act like a man. Oh, am I helping anybody yet? I ain't preaching yet. I'm just talking to you for a few minutes. 
care for the house and all the household affairs. How many of you here, your husband paid all the bills? How many of you here, your wife pays all the bills? That one pays every bill I got. Except for things I've already set up, my credit cards. Anything associated with the house, she takes care of it. She'll tell me taxes is due. You got to go pay them. She handles every bit of I ain't supposed to even write a check. The woman is supposed to take care of the affairs of the house. And you as an aged woman are supposed to teach the women coming beyond you to be able to handle all of that stuff. A virtuous woman is one that handles the affair of the house. Amen. And then he says you're supposed to be good and agreeable and joyful and happy and distinguished and having a good nature and having a good constitution and be a fruitful tree. If I give you a seed, bring me back a tomato bush. If I give you $5, go out yonder and bring me back enough stuff to make me a meal. Be fruitful, amen. But then here's something that they've even took out of the wedding vows. Be obedient to your own husband. Oh. That means be subordinate. Subject to him in subjection. Yield to his ambition and his wisdom. Do what you two talk about and make a decision with no matter who it hurts. Whether it's your child, your mama, your daddy, your brother, your aunt, your uncle, whoever it may be, your husband should be the one that gives you the admonition and you do what your husband and you have decided is going to be done regardless. Now, how many know right now, going through this, the church is in trouble? The men ain't where they need to be. The women ain't where they need to be. The young women ain't where they need to be. You see that word uh, obedient there is a military word that means when the command is marked, you go and you do it. Yes, sir. How do you want to do it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, Yes, sir. Sir, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, men, do we have women like that? Oh, they hushed up because they know what they're going to get when they get home. It's a military word used under the commander of a leader. It means to have a voluntary attitude of giving in and cooperating and assuming responsibility with your husband. And if you and your husband are working towards something, that you are going to put that first. You're not going to take care of your child before you take care of your husband. Oh, Lord, I know I've already shook some things up. Why is it that you're supposed to do that? That the word of God be not blasphemed. That there can be no evil spoken of it and nothing can be criticized in an abusive, insulting manner about God or spoken about God irreverently by your actions. Are y'all with me this morning? Amen. In 33 years of preaching, I preached on this story I'm going to talk to you about this morning about the woman with the issue of blood. And I remember the very first time I, I did preach on it. I don't remember the title of it. I don't have it written down at that point in time. But the first time I ever preached on it, I referred to this woman as Little Miss Nobody from Nowhere with Nothing. I remember that. Little Miss Nobody from Nowhere with Nothing. She had so much going against her. The odds were stacked totally against her, Larice. Her problem was against her. 
Not only was her problem against her, her people were against her. She was deemed unclean. She couldn't even go around her family. Not only that, but her finances began to be against her. Her positions began to be against her. Her church even was against her because she couldn't even go to church. She was deemed unclean. For 12 long years, long, tedious, heartbreaking years, heartbreaking, depressed, she had done her very best to cope with a bleeding hemorrhage in her body. And because of her disease, she was an outcast. Life is in the blood, according to the Bible. So for over 12 years, she was slowly losing life. She was dying slowly over a 12-year period of time, and the church won't dare to help her. The doctor won't dare to help her. Her family couldn't be there to help her. Sadducees couldn't be there to help her. The Pharisees couldn't be there to help her. The Essenes couldn't be there to help her. Nobody could be there to help her. She was all on her own. She had a whole lot going against her. Amen. So for 12 years she had something flowing out of her. And it had been flowing out of her and away from her. And without a miracle, it would never return to her. I want you to hear how I'm explaining this because it's all going to come together in just a few minutes. She had went from one doctor to another trying to find a remedy. She had went from one place to the next. She had went, if it was a church member, it was a church member going from one pastor to another, from one church to another, from one prophet to another, from one radio program to another radio program, from one television program to another, trying to find a remedy. And now all her money was gone. She had no worth. She had visited Dr. Pharisee, and Dr. Pharisee couldn't help her. She had went to go see Dr. Sadducee, and Dr. Sadducee could not help her. She had went in and visited Dr. Tradition, and Dr. Tradition had an appointment with her after an appointment with her after an appointment with her with Dr. Religion, but she, well, I'm sorry, with Tradition, and she never got any better. And then she decided, hey, I need religion. I need religion. So she runs over to Dr. Religion, and she starts getting appointment after appointment with Dr. Religion, and nothing helps her. But somewhere, somehow, somebody told her about the greatest position that there ever was on the face of this earth. Oh, y'all with me this morning, amen. Uh, somebody, somehow, somewhere told her about a physician that had cured blinded eyes. Somebody began to talk to her and share with her and tell her about a, a physician that had took a withered hand and just by speaking to it, straightened out that withered hand at the drop of a hat. Somewhere, somebody had began to tell her that there was a physician in the land that had raised up a widow's son while she was going through, he was going through a funeral possession and raised him right up out of the, out of the, 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 the casket and Someone told him that he went and he walked up to a tomb and he hollered out to somebody that was dead for four days and brought him out. Somebody somewhere somehow had told her that he had walked and told her that he had walked into Peter's house and looked at his mama that had a fever that was killing her and rebuked that fever and brought the miracle in there instantly in their life. Somewhere somebody had told her that there was a great physician around that had cured the people that had leprosy. Somewhere, somewhere, somehow, some 
somebody had told him that the physician had caused people that were paralyzed to get up in the middle of a service and walk out again somewhere, somehow, somebody had told her and she had heard that she had made a deaf ear and a dumb person began to hear and to talk. Somebody told him that he had healed a maniac over across the sea just a few days ago and a physician had called an 18-year-old woman that was crooked over to stand up in a minute. She found out that there was a physician that was in Israel and if she could get to that is that physician, she might could get healed. Amen. Somebody told her, if he happens to come to your town, if he happens to show up on your street, if he happens to come in there, I don't know who it was that told her. I don't know who it was, but I believe that in that area of that day, she was thrown out and the only people she was associated with were people that were unclean. And I believe that maybe what happened is she went there one day and she was looking for that leper that she had made and struck up a friendship with. And she began to ask people, where is so-and-so at? And they said, well, oh, didn't you hear? He went and he got hold of Dr. Jesus. And when he got hold of Dr. Jesus, he was healed and now he's back home with his family. He's enjoying his family. And he's and here, here she is now realizing that she can't find the leper. And she begins to hear that this was the great physician that had showed up in the house. And she says in her heart, if I could ever get where he's at, I'm going to just, if I can't do nothing else, I'm going to get his attention. Because if he can do that for them, he can do it for me. Amen. Jesus of Galilee, I believe somehow she was told by somebody that Jesus could heal her. I want you to look at your neighbor here this morning and tell them Jesus can still heal you. Amen. Oh, y'all might have quiet today, but I'm going to tell you what, if you'll listen, God will bless you here this morning. She, she was told if a man named Jesus comes to your town, if something happens where he shows up on your street, you do whatever you can possibly do to get a hold of him, get an appointment with him because he's got your answer. I want you to slap that beside him and say, Jesus still got your answer. Amen. Somebody told her if you can do, if, if there's nothing else you can do, if you can't get his attention, if you can't get an appointment with him, if you can't get in the inner circle, then you do everything you can possibly do to touch him. Look at somebody here this morning and say, we got to touch Jesus. Say it again. Say, we got to touch Jesus. She was told if other people try to hold you back, if other people get out there, don't you miss your miracle. It don't matter what happens. If the boss man is trying to make you work today and you need a miracle, don't you let that boss man rob you of your miracle because Jesus is your answer. Jesus came to her town. Jesus came to her street. And Jesus came within arm's length distance from her. And she pressed her way through that crowd. And she sat there and touched the hem of his garment. And the hem of his garment there began to have enough of power in it that immediately she was healed. Amen. Now we all know what a hymn is, don't we? How many seamstresses we got in the house? Knows how to sew. A hymn is where all the loose ends and all the frayed ends come together. Spiritually, the hem of Jesus' garment is a place where all the loose ends of your life come together. 
where all the frayed edges of your life can come together. And when you reach out and you can touch the hem of Jesus in the spirit, the hem of the garment of the Lord Jesus, when you touch him, all the loose ends in your life will come straightened back out. All the frayed edges of your life will come straightened out in your life. Am I anybody here with me this morning? Amen. To tell your neighbor right beside me, say, you got to touch him. Oh, my God, wake up this morning and look at him and say, you're going to have to touch Jesus. Amen. Why? Because there's so much healing in the, the hem of his garment that every drugstore in the world could not even touch it. I'm here to tell you, if you can just reach out and touch him, he'll straighten out your life. If you can just reach out and you can tell we sing that song, oh, he touched me, he touched me, he touched me, and that's a wonderful song. But I want to see a church that has learned how to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. I want to be associated with a church that's got all the loose ends straightened out. I want to be associated with a church that has every frayed edge coming together and Jesus immediately touches them in their life. Amen. Amen. If you can just reach out and touch him. Now, I told you she wasn't supposed to be there. It was illegal for her to be there. She could have been arrested and she could have been killed. She would continually cry out, unclean, 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 wherever she went. But she pressed through that garment or that crowd because she wanted to grab hold of that garment. And she went through and immediately, uh, as, as she touched a hold of that garment, every loose end in her life that had been there for 12 solid years came together. And minute she touched his garment, her whole life came back together again. I'm here to tell you this morning, there's still enough of power in the hem of God's garment, in Jesus' garment. If you can reach out and touch it in just a second, God will straighten out your whole life. Is there anybody agrees with me here this morning? Say amen. No longer will she have the issue of bleeding all the life that she has in her out. No longer will she have that. I want to share with you, it's been said that a lot of people can brush against Jesus' garment. And it's been said that a lot of people can bump into Jesus through their life. But there, it's also said that there's few that has the faith enough to be able to touch the hem of his garment. Amen. I'm looking for a church that's ready to touch it. When she reached out and touched the garment, immediately she felt what flowed out of Jesus began to flow on the inside of her. And that one touch caused Jesus to stop in his mission, go into Jairus' house to go and heal the young daughter, caused him to stop. And he said, I got to know who's got that kind of faith. Are y'all following me this morning? Well, I'm about to preach in just a few minutes. I'm just teaching to you here in a moment. We need to have that kind of faith in this church that when we reach out, we get Jesus to stop and turn around and say, I got to know who's got that kind of faith. Amen. Amen. And in that hour, in her nervousness, her scared, scared that she's going to have uh, an arresting happen in her life is going to be literally put to death. She raised up her feeble hand and she said it was me. She tried to hide from him, but she couldn't hide from him. And Jesus looked up and called her by a name that she had never been called by Dr. Pharisee. She had never been called by Dr. Sadducee. She'd never been called by Dr. Religion. She'd never been called by Dr. Tradition. He called her by a covenant name and said, daughter, thy faith have made thee whole. Go in peace. I'm here to tell you we're still in a covenant with Jesus Christ. And it was that covenant name he spoke to her and said, daughter, we're in a covenant with him here in this house this morning. We are the sons of God. You are the daughters of God. He loved, looked at her and he said unto her and connected with her through a covenant and that's still how God does it today. He said, daughter, thy faith have made thee whole. Go in peace. 
God still ministers to his church through the covenant. God still ministers to you through the covenant. When you have not fulfilled your covenant, he's not going to minister to you. But when you have fulfilled the covenant, he's going to minister to you. And God wants to call you by that covenant name this morning. God wants to declare right now in this hour that you're healed through that covenant. He wants to declare and say that you are free because his miraculous touch has happened in your life. He wants to look at you and say, that is a daughter of my covenant. That is a man of my covenant. That is a son of my covenant. And they are blessed. They are healed. They are free. And they are released in the name of Jesus. I love this story. It's an old story. It's a story of healing. It's a story of provision. It's a story of power. It's a story of deliverance. But I particularly like what God has recently showed me in this story. It more than just being a, a, a story of healing, I love it more now than I've ever loved it in my life. I particularly like it because I've come to understand recently that this is a story of how God wants to heal a sick, bleeding, dying church. Who's got issues. Issues that has sucked the life out of the church. I still want you to know that the church of Jesus Christ is still alive here on the earth today. Amen. But sometimes the organizing of that church is very sick. And understand this story about God's desire to come in and heal the church that has issues that's causing it to lose its life. And to understand this, you got to realize that Jesus had just prior went across the sea and opened up the gospel to the world. And hell had tried to kill him. Hell had tried to shut down his ministry on the sea. And he went out in the church and he had went there in the graveyard of the world and he stared a demonic devil down and he delivered a message that my church will soon bring a revival to the entire world and upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. But to understand with all that is recorded, you've got to really look at the story of Jairus. Because in this story, there's a ministry to the present day church. Now, everybody knows about Jairus. Jairus was a leader of the synagogue. He worked in the synagogue. He took care of things in the synagogue. So he was one person that had access to the Scripture. He was one of the only people in the nation of Israel that could read the Bible and understand what was there. So when he had the opportunity, he would take the parchment, he would roll it out, and he would begin to read about over in Exodus where Moses had spoke to God and water came out of the rock. He began to, to speak about and share and read about how manna come up and fell down over the, the children of Israel's camp every day and how quail would show up on the ground to feed them. He saw the serpent that was brazen raised up and the, the, the snakes that had bit those people and the venom that was in them be cured by that brazen supper. He realized and understood that they spoke about a Messiah that was coming and I know as Jairus read through there, he found out that one sign to be able to prove who the Messiah was 
was is when he heard that people that were lame and that were blind were healed and walking around and seeing that undoubtedly it was the Messiah that had come and somewhere down the road he'll go into town and somebody was talking to him and they were telling him did you hear what happened yesterday Jesus said that some of his disciples said he was out there walking on water and he went over there and he faced this demonic man that had been bound by the devil and had over 6,000 devils in him cast out in the name of Jesus and he said and he would go out into town and he said didn't you hear that that person that was crippled that you know now that person is running around dancing in the streets dancing in the church and literally standing there as the ones that were deaf and couldn't see can't you hear them people telling Jairus hey this thing happened yesterday and it was Jesus that brought it to pass amen he kept hearing about somebody named Jesus he heard about the sick being healed heard about the dead being raised and that's kind of a little ironic because the word Jairus means to be enlightened or to have a revelation so Jairus was used by God to have a revelation. He got a revelation. He was enlightened by the power of God. And everything in these scriptures that he was reading, he began to realize and get the revelation, hey, everything that is the Messiah is supposed to do, Jesus is doing them. And he said, I got to meet this Jesus. And Jairus, in that point when he began to realize, hey, it's very well possible that this is the Messiah, he got another revelation, and he said, if I'll go where the Messiah is and I worship him, I can get my little girl that's dying healed. And that same truth is evident today, amen? If you will go and worship Jesus, Jesus will come into your life and he'll heal your life. Why the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. Amen. Jairus needed Jesus in his house. His little daughter was dying. I want to share with you, Living Water Worship Center needs Jesus in the house. Amen. The scripture tells you he only had one daughter. He didn't have any sons. She was just 12 years old, and she was just prior to her physical maturity. In other words, she was right at the point where she was going to start having a period, which is her fruits. It was her fruit-bearing years. And now here the devil is coming attacking this young girl right before she's ready to bear fruit. And Satan right now wants to take this girl, even today, out of this world before she comes to a place in her body that she can potentially bear fruit. And he's actively at work doing that right now. If she dies, Jairus' legacy dies. If she dies, everything that he had worked for and everything that he had poured into her life dies. Without her, he would have no legacy with no dream, no hope, no future. His family name would die out because he didn't have any sons and he was concerned for the next generation. Y'all following me this morning? It's very important. God is concerned and very interested in the future of his church. Y'all got to hear me. If we sit back and we let the younger generation die while we sit here in the church and we fuss about what Pastor so-and-so said behind the pulpit. And we sit here and we have arguments about doctrine. We sit here and we argue, argue about politics. What color the carpet is. If we're going to put words upon the wall, 
or televisions in the house, or if we're going to take an offering at a certain time, if we're going to argue about policy while the younger generation is out there dying, if we're going to do that there, if we're going to literally do that, we're going to allow them to die. And if we allow the next generation to die, we're going to lose our legacy. If we allow them to die, we're going to lose our future. That's why Jesus wants to come to Jairus' house. He needs to secure the future for Jairus. And that's the reason why Jesus wants to come to Living Water Worship Center because our legacy is at stake. Our future is at stake right now. I was ministering to a girl this week, and she asked me, she said, do you have a lot of youth in your church? I said, sadly, no. I said, and the two or three that we have, the devil has cropped up his heels in the last two weeks, and now they ain't coming. It don't look like they might be able to even come back. I want you to know the devil wants this church to shut down. The devil don't want this church to go forward. The devil wants to knock out the next generation. you got children in your house that is the next generation, and we got to look at them and stop allowing them to die. Amen. Amen. Why? Because God wants to come into the house of Living Water Worship Center. Jesus wants to walk in personally by the deathbed of this next generation and lay his hands on our future generation and preserve our few and heal them. And I got news for you. Here's a headline from heaven. Jesus is about to raise up Living Water's future. Y'all ain't with me this morning. Jesus is about to go in to the house of Living Water Worship Center and he's going to raise up Living Water's future. Why is it that Jesus is going to Jairus' house and there's an emergency in the house? The little girl's dying. She's on her deathbed. If you read it in the right language, Jairus came to him and said, Master, he says, my child is dying. I don't even know if we're going to make it back in time. She's dead, but I believe if you can make it there before she dies, you can lay your hands on her and she'll be healed. Why is it that Jesus is stopped on the way by this woman with a bleeding her hemorrhage? Why is it? If I was Jairus, I would look at Jesus and say, Jesus, that woman's old. She's been going through out there for 12 years. What's another day going to happen? That's not the emergency. The emergency is my daughter is on the deathbed dying. Look, Jesus, she's walking. She's talking. She's moving around. She has life in her. But my little baby is at the house, and she's dying. She might be dead already. That's an emergency. You need to come to my house. Why is it? that it stopped Jesus in his tracks. Why is it that this woman that was bleeding out her life that has issues, why is it that Jesus felt like it was important to heal this woman and stop? She won't as bad off as the other girl. She's dying, but she still has life. This other girl's dying right there dead. In fact, at this time, she's already dead. Jesus in his omniscient mind already knew the girl was dead. But why is it that this little woman that's slowly losing her life for 12 years now is taking precedence over a woman that's on her deathbed? 
I believe that Jesus in his omniscient mind knew that the Holy Spirit one day would move on the hand of Paul and Paul began to write out instruction to the aged women and to tell the aged women that you are supposed to teach your young women how to love their family, how to live holy in their life. I believe that this woman is a symbol of the church and they wouldn't do any good for him to go and raise up the child that was dead and put them in a dead and dying in church for it to kill her already. Amen? Amen. Y'all with me this morning? So it makes better sense to heal the church now and to stop the church's bleeding and set her free from all of her issues and once she's revived to take this once anointed she's anointed and once she is revived and refilled with the power of the Holy Spirit and back to living in holiness and in righteousness take that little girl and put her back in there and raise up the future of the church just in case that Jairus by daughter literally is going to be raised up from the grave somebody needed to be able to teach her down the road amen so the question i got to ask you is will living water allow god to heal us from our issues that is bleeding out our life everybody look at me because it's leaving this church quickly the life, the Holy Spirit leaving this church. We are bleeding constantly in this church. Slowly but surely we are dying. I wonder how many of you here will allow Living Water Worship Center to be healed by God this morning and deal with our issues just in case our grandchildren need to have somebody to be ministered to. Somebody needs to be in the place to teach them. Somebody needs to be in their place to show them holy living. Somebody in their place needs to be able to show them when all hell breaks loose, you can still get through it with a sober mind. You ain't got to get drunk. Somebody needs to show them and let them know, although your body's telling you you need to enjoy sex, you need to be married first, and here's how you do this. Am I talking to anybody here this morning? Amen. God wants to heal us of our issues here at Living Water this morning. Because we got some. I love you, but we got a lot of them. Amen. Amen. Now, our issues are not what they used to be. I was telling them in Sunday school this morning, for those of you that won't hear. Back when I was coming up, I went to a hole in this church, and on Wednesday night, they had testimony service. And it turned into confession service. You see, when you were part of a hole in this church back then, uh, if you were able to drink a Pepsi, you were, you were literally blessed. <laughs> One of the issues in the church is that they would not drink Coca-Cola. And it won't nothing to do with the drink. They said the drink drink was fine. If you could get that thing out of a plastic bottle, that'd be fine. But you cannot drink a, a Coca-Cola out of the, the, uh, the glass bottle because it looks too much like a woman's shape. That was the issues of the church back then. I was telling you, listen to them, this is how crazy it is. The issues back then was that those, we couldn't go to the theaters. We weren't supposed to watch television. And if they were found out that we went to the theater, boy, the preacher would stand up there and preach against whatever it was in the theater. Boy, he was tough on that stuff. But let me share with you something wonderful. I was telling you this morning in Sunday school that they turned out to be in these testimony service, confession services, and all the young people would come to church on Wednesday night so that they could sit there and get the best to find out what was going on in the church because that was the biggest drama and biggest movie theater that we could ever be a part of in our life. 
And one woman got up and boo-hooed for about 25 minutes. Oh, the church need to pray for me. The church need to pray for me. The church need to pray for me. And finally, the preacher said, what do you need prayer about? He, she, said, she said, well, you know that man right there on that front row? I've been having an affair with him for six months, but I want to thank God for his keeping power. Because during that whole time, I never wore a pair of pants. I never put on no pantyhose. I never put no makeup on. I never cut my hair. I was about 12 when at one church a lady run up to the preacher, pulled out a pair of scissors and cut her, cut his, uh, his tie off at the knot and said, what do you think about that? You can't be holy wearing that tie. He said, woman, give me them scissors. He said, I'm going to stick your tongue out. I'm going to show you how to get holy. I remember on Wednesday night, my mom told the church I had to go to the Friday night ball game because I was in the band. And boy, that was a big deal. The deacon said, well, what songs is he going to be playing at the ball game? He ain't supposed to be at the ball game. Boy, that was some issues back then. Amen. We used to have them testimony services. They would come, those confession services. But let me share with you, there's, we laugh about that, but there's something called holiness of hearts. Holiness of your hands. Holiness of your attitude. Those are not the issues in the church today. Those aren't the issues in the church today. They're much more different. Issues mean that we have in the church today is moral purity. Oh, you're going to hear? I don't care if it makes you matter. We got a bunch of women wanting to work and lead the house. Moral purity. The church now, we all know that that's out in the world. It's supposed to be in the world. But it started coming into the church where people can go to the church for five years shacking together. Never even think about getting married. We got people that are coming to the church that years ago would never say none of them four-letter words. If you did, the first thing to come out of their mouth is, Pastor, forgive me, Lord, forgive me. And now today, some of them cuss like sailors. Before you can get home, you're cussing your wife out. Amen. We got people coming into the church right now. Moral purity is not even here anymore. They're out there in the bar room on Saturday night and on Sunday night. They're out there on that night, the preacher says, oh, I get around and walk around and welcome everybody. They had the lights out and everything, and I was noticing everybody had a Yeti cup. And when I started walking to people and shaking their hand, you can smell the alcohol that was in them cups and on their breath. But they were in church. Not only do we have the issue of moral purity in the church, we got the spirit of compromise coming into the church. Am I talking to anybody? Amen. We don't talk about holiness no more. We talk about prosperity. We preach about positive thinking. And we preach about positive living. But let me share with you right now, holiness is still God's standard. The Bible says without holiness, you'll never be able to see God. I believe that somebody needs to stand up and start preaching holiness. I believe somebody needs to stand up and say, if you love yourself and you love yourself like you say you're going to love yourself, then you need to quit pouring that beer down your throat. You need to quit sucking up that cocaine up your eye. You need to quit popping them pills. And every time you do it, I'm going to embarrass the daylights out of you because I love you enough to tell you the truth. It's going to carry you to hell. It's 
Somebody needs to preach about accountability one more time. Somebody needs to raise the blood-stained banner of Jesus Christ, of holy living in our life, and know that we've got to live holy. God said, come out from among them and be you holy as God is holy. We're dealing with issues of racial diversity. We're dealing with prejudice that are still in the church. I have seen people unload their pocketbook to save a child in the Congo. As long as they stay in the condo. I've seen offerings took up to go across the wrong side of the tracks and help people out there but they don't need to come in my church and sit on the pew. I've even watched people get up and walk out when they come into the church and sit on the pew. We're dealing with some major issues in the church. Amen. Let me share with you, it don't matter who you are, where you come from. It don't matter what's wrong for you. The Bible says, whosoever will, let him come. I don't care if you're Catholic. I don't care if you're Islamic. I don't care if you're out there from Buddhism. I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're on the wrong side of the tracks. I don't care where you're at. If you'll make it into the church, I'll accept you where you are, but I will not approve of where you're standing at. It's time to preach holiness. Amen. We're dealing of racial diversity. We're dealing with that in the church. Prejudice still in the church. We still have uh, to the point to where we give money to the soup kitchen as long as they stay in the soup kitchen. Amen. They don't come to the church. Don't you come in here and occupy the front row. We're dealing with that. In other words, we got KKK members sitting in the church. We got people in the church that call a black man a nigger. And I don't use that word. And we got black people who wants to call the white people soda crackers. We're dealing with racial diversity. Oh, I know some of you don't like the preaching like this here, but see, this is the type of preaching going to straight the church out. Sunday morning is the most segregated hour that there is in the world today. Thank God, Living Water Worship Center, bring you on in here if you're Chinese. Thank God, Living Water Worship Center, bring you on here if you're African American. It don't matter where you come from. We can have people got thousands of dollars in the bank. Somebody ain't got no bank, ain't got no bank account, ain't got no car. Thank God, we got everything here in this church. And it don't matter where you come from, what color you are, where you're sitting at, how many women you had, how many men you had, how many people you're married to, and all that. It don't make no difference. Come on to the house of God. Because whosoever will let him come into the church. I won't preach much longer, but I got to preach. I wonder how many you give me five more minutes. Just five more minutes. How many would just raise your hand? Let me say, hold, hold your hand up. So there's five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, thirty, thirty-five, forty, forty-five. Got about an hour left. Amen. Other issue we got is doctrinal impurity. Doctrinal impurity. We got churches that have Pentecost on their sign and over their door, but it's not in their heart. I believe it's time to stand up and say, if the Bible says it, I believe it. People have told me, even have one in the church come to me and said, you're running them off. I said, running who off? Those people that are in the seeker sensitive crowd, you're running them off. I've had people tell me, you're running them off. You're preaching too hard. You need to take back what you said. You need to ask for forgiveness. 
You know what God tells me to do? Preach those things that are of sound doctrine. Preach it in season and out of season. Preach it when they like it. Preach it when they don't like it. Preach it when they want to hear it. When they don't want to hear it. Preach it. Preach it. Preach it. Preach it. Preach it. You see, the old woman for 12 years could not bear fruit. We talked about fruit in Sunday school this morning. And the woman, the little girl at 12 years old had not yet started bearing fruit. So it's all about bearing fruit. It's all about fruitfulness. And when you start or getting to the point to where you're going to start bearing fruit for the kingdom of God, Satan will unleash all hell in your life. And when Jesus arrived at Jairus' house, at that point in time, he met with a negative, doomed crowd of people with a negative doomsday forecast about the future. They looked at that girl, and they said, that girl's dead. And Jesus said, that girl ain't dead. That girl's asleep. You see, they heard people in the church with their negative doomsday forecast about the generation that's come behind us said, I don't know what we're going to have to do to reach them. They don't want to hear the word of God. They did. We just need to move on and not worry about growing the church. And we come on, and it'll be us four no more. And if they stay home, let them stay home. We still going to praise the Lord and have a good time and move on. I'm not going to let it get me down. Let me tell you, God calls you to lead and to teach those people that are beyond behind you and are in the next generation behind you and you better get on the ball game. Amen. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Amen. A lot of people have given out their forecast and their prophecy and said, trouble the master no more. That generation's dead. The youth, you ain't got nothing to worry with them. Young people today are literally forecasted to be dead in Christians' mouths. They've washed themselves with alcohol. They spotted their life with illicit sex. They spotted and fixed their brain and filled their brains with alcohol and, and, and with drugs and, and fried their brains to the point where you can't hardly talk over them. And their attitude in life is trouble, not the master. It's a waste of time. They've already went to the drug connection, tore their brains all to pieces. Jesus told Jairus immediately, he said, don't you listen to that forecast. Slap that right beside you and say, quit listening to the news. Quit listening to that. Why? Because I want to tell you right now, that's why I'm going to begin to still and continue on. I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach because I still believe that God can move right now on the younger generation and God can save it. Jesus done two important things when he showed up at Jairus' house. They were out there speaking negative, saying she was dead, and he run them out of the house and said, get out of here. He changed the language and he said, you got to quit talking like that about them. I'm here to tell you she is not dead she's still asleep and I'm fixing to wake her up I believe it's time in the church that we started saying that generation out there behind us is our generation they're not dead they're just asleep and we're going to know how to rake them up I'm here to tell you your tongue has the power of life and death in it and we need to change our language and start talking in a positive light that God is still the same God he was yesterday he's the same God today he was then and he'll be the same God tomorrow that he was today and for Ever. I believe right now that we need to start changing the way we talk and quit letting the world tell us that there's no hope for these children because there's still hope for these children in this world. And the answer is Jesus Christ. The second thing he done is he transferred. Every one of them had a transfer. He moved all the negative crowd out and threw them out there and he took them out of there and he would not let but five people go into the room with him. Five. Everybody hold out and say five. Five. 
he took Peter, James, and John. Right there was the apostle, the prophet, and the evangelist. And then he took the daddy, which is the pastor. And he took the mother, which was the teacher. And there in the five-fold ministry, he took and laid his hands upon the generation behind them that was dying. And the devil was trying to kill and robbed him of his fruit and said, little girl, arise up in the name of Jesus. I believe that living water worship center's message should be to the next generation. Hey, you sleep, but we're going to get you away. Arise in the name of Jesus Christ. I believe there's something to speak about the apostolic covering, church planning, and leadership, and the voice of the evangelist, and the spirit of God, and the power of Elijah to be able to speak the word of God the way it is. And it's time for us to start calling sin, sin, and what's unholy, unholy, and stand up and do what needs to be and surrounded by the five-fold ministry, he tells the girl to arise. She had a body, but she didn't have no spirit. Her spirit, the Bible says, came back to her again. And I'm here to let the devil know and sound the alarm from the house up in heaven to the house here in Bladenboro, North Carolina, that right here in this hour, the spirit of God will come again on this generation that we think that is dead. She had the look of the spirit, but she didn't have the spirit. She had her vision had come back to her she had her mobility come back to her and Jesus looked at the pastor after that and said now give her some meat to eat how many has ever been sick before for a long period of time it won't long ago Tina was really sick and as she started to try to eat we cooked a meal and we said, you won't eat? She said, no, I can't eat that. She said, I'll eat some soda crackers and some soup. How many of you know when you're sick, you have to gradually get yourself back to normality? Yes. Oh, but listen to what just happened. Jesus looked at this girl that had been sick that is dead, raised her up, and when he raised her up, he looked at the pastor and said, now give them the meat. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to speed things up. I'm going to advance things a little bit. I'm going to do an accelerated work. And we need more than just diluted soup. And we need more than just still old bread. It is time to get the meat of God back in the house of God and preach. There's a devil's hell that you can go to. And God gave you an opportunity to make it to heaven. And death, you're going to meet that judgment one day. And it can be right now. And if there's any one thing in your life, that can keep you from going to heaven. You better ask God for forgiveness now. Amen. Time to preach the word. Amen. Amen. God is coming after this future generation. And I want you to realize this future generation is hungry for meat. I'm going to tell you, if they can handle what's coming across the internet to them, if they can handle what's coming out of all those iPads to them, if they can handle what's coming throughout all them so I listened to one of them, their, uh, what, what they call them rap songs the other day, hip hop beat, and boy, they were talking about slapping your mama's eyes out of her head and knocking your daddy upside the head and beating down your girlfriend and knocking the teeth out of their head. If they can handle all that, boy, they can sure stand up and hear that God said, if you don't live right, you're going to hell it's time to preach the word of God amen they're hungry for it they want to know how to live holy and the church has got to be the ones that teach them how to live holy men you got to start being a man 
You got to start being the priest of your house, the prophet of your house, the king of your house. You got to start showing your children, hey, if you want to live successful in life, have Jesus as the number one priority in your life. When Sunday morning come, get to the house of God. When Sunday night come, be in the house of God. When Wednesday night come, be in the house of God. If you want God to bless you in your finances, the minute your paycheck comes in, instruct the wife, pay my tithe. Oh my God, can I help anymore? You see, the little girl had a resurrection as I close. She had a resurrection. An instantaneous experience. But the woman had a story. She had a story. And when you take a experience that's right there immediate and you mix it with a story, that's when you start having power. You see, I'm talking to people here this morning that knows what it's like to lose everything. Amen. I'm talking to people this morning that knows what it's like to have to try and try to find help and you go everywhere and you can't find no help. I'm talking to people right now that knows what it feels like to be an outcast. And I, I want to tell you what, the very church that I came from when I started opening up this church, I put a little sign out there that says, come as you are, be who you are. And the church that I came from, the church of God in Blaybro, you see, I ain't one that is just referencing them. I'll call them out. They said, I said, look at that mob that's going out yonder at that church. Well, let me tell you, I'm proud to be a part of the mob. I'm proud to be leading the mob. I'm proud. I don't care what you dress like when you come in this church. I don't care what you look like when you come in this church. I think that there's still enough of power in the hem of God's garment that when you grab a hold of his garment, he'll change you completely around. I don't care where you are financially. I don't care if you got a job or you ain't got a job or you got a car. You ain't got a car. I believe my God can still do it. I know what it's like to be an outcast. I can relate to you being an outcast. I know how it means and what it feels to be hurt emotionally and depressed and to be rejected by society. I know what it means and what it feels like to go to doctor after doctor, to go to people after people to try to seek advice from people after people. But And to know what it feels like to press through a crowd to try to make a difference. I know what it feels like so I got a story. And you see, when you mix the story with an experience in resurrection, that's when you have power. You, you know, a lot of people are dead set against some of the songs that, that this next generation sings. But there's some of them I really love. There's one of them I really love. It says, I'll say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes. yes. See, Senor, see, Senor, see, Senor, see. See, I ain't even caught singing that there in Spanish. I love them songs. They're good songs. But when you can have a song like Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And when you think about that, the woman that wrote that there was on up in her age and she was blind as a bat and had been blind all her life and she had never seen anything in life and she was shot right out there and she said, Heir of salvation, I'm purchased with love. 
born of his spirit. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost washed in his blood. And she sings and say, this is my story. This is my song. I'm praising my Savior all day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. You see, when you can have a story mixed with power, you can have a story mixed with energy, that's when you can change the generation. Amen. Another song is, He never promised that the cross would not get heavy and the hill would not be hard to climb. He never offered a victory without fighting, but He said hell would always come right on time. I'm here to tell you when you can take a story and you can mix it together with someone that's got some energy, then they can go out and they can win the world. I want to share with you, the devil's tried to kill you. The devil's tried to take you out with color. The devil's tried to paralyze me. The devil's tried to rob you of your finances. The devil tried to cut your legs off. The devil tried to kill your children. The devil tried to kill this church. But we're still here and we're alive. We got a story and it is time for us to rise up and say, Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, we need to sing of this. Come on, stand up with me and say, This is my story. This is my song. I can't even sing it now. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior. Sing it now. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior. All right, sing it again. Sing it one more time. This is my story. This is my song. This is my song, praising my Savior. You see, you have a story that God wants to use. God wants to heal this church before he goes against the world. He wants to heal this church before he goes against the next generation. God wants to stop this church from bleeding and hemorrhaging life. And if you'll make up your mind. That he can change your life. Mm -hmm. And you can praise him for your story. What, what would have happened. This little girl 12 years old. I believe. That somewhere down the road. That story was put together. Because somewhere down the road. This little 12 year old girl. And this woman that was sick for 12 years. Had to come back together. I believe somewhere down the road she heard that story of that woman that suffered for 12 years. And God kept her here to teach them how to live holy. Amen. She lived in one of the worst centers put in blame in North Carolina to teach 
holiness one more time. Amen. To get back in unity with God. Get back in unity with each other. Quit grumbling and quit arguing and quit fussing about things in the church. Quit prophesying that the next generation is dead. And let's get back to holiness. So I want to admonish you. I want to encourage you. If you got you a boyfriend, you got you a girlfriend. And y'all living together. You need to get married. If y'all going to stay together, go ahead and do the deal. Men, go ahead and die. Yep, you got to die just like Jesus died. Got to love your wife like Jesus. If you can't love that woman like Jesus loved the church and give all up for her, move. Get out of her life. Leave her alone. She deserves better than you. Oh, people don't like to hear the truth like that, do they? If you ain't got a, a husband, you ain't got a girlfriend, pray that God will give you one, and when they show up, don't go running to the bedroom immediately. When all hell is breaking loose, your children driving you crazy and everything, instead of you losing your mind and going to get you a nerve pill to calm you down, instead of you going to go out there and get you a 12-ounce can of beer to calm you down, instead of you popping a pill or sucking up some cocaine, you stand up right and say, Jesus gave me the mind of Christ and I can make it through without altering my mind. We're going to live holy. We're going to show holy. And we're going to show the world it don't matter. Naked, I come in this world. And naked, I'll go out of this world. But one thing about it, when I go out of this world, I'm go into another world and I'm going to be with Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. So God has released living water last year, last week. He's telling us now there's an open door between the closed door that he's shut and we're living in the, highway, or the hallway of hellacious in between. And during that time I'm going to heal the church, open up the door for the world. Oh, y'all following me? Amen. Amen. And I'm going to bring the next generation in the fruitfulness. That's what he's called in this church. I know I preach a long time. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, bless these people. Open up their hearts, their souls, and their minds. Let them receive this. Let us go forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the glory and the praise for it all. Father, now in the name of Jesus, go with us, lead God in the readiness, bring us back in loving and unity this night. Once again, ready to worship you. And I'll give you Jesus' name and the church.